When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. What's going on? Welcome to Knife Talk. It's a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, DIYers, anyone with any interest in anything. Want to listen to three guys? Scrub it out. Talk about stuff. I don't know why I said that. Fine. That's fine. I'm Jeff Fader from Fader Knives. I'm here with Mareko Momasi, Momasi Fire Arts, and Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives. We're here every week, ladies and germs, whether you like it or not. And uh, how is everybody? Did you say three guys scrubbing it out? Yeah, it really wasn't mm. well thought out. No. <laughs> it wasn't really thought, well thought out. <laughs> I must admit that was like not thought out well. So, no. No. not at all. But anyway, What's, Morocco, how are you? I'm doing good. <laughs> let's, get, let's get past oh, okay. that real quick, don't mind, if you don't mind. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I've been working on some Damascus this last week. Um, I think I've been talking about these sword projects and recreating these ancient patterns. And so mm. still plugging away at those, using the new 55-pound uh, little, uh, not little giant, uh, Anyang. And I love that thing. It's so great. Um, wow. I miss using a power hammer. And it's so nice to have that. And to use that kind of in concert with the hydraulic press has been um, really nice because the hydraulic press, you can really dial in the exact size. Um, and then on the hammer, you can do a lot of the their movement. But then you, you get down to a point where, like, you got to dial in the dimensions. And, mm. and for some of these patterns, I'm really trying to control the exact dimension because I'm putting them back together and, and they're mosaics and, you know, I'm trying to do it as close to um, what would have originally been done, you know, when these were originally being made, like almost 2,000 years ago, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, So that's, but it's been going good. I have a couple different patterns going. There's three ancient patterns uh, that people haven't been able to really uh, unlock, uh, but I figured them out. And so now I'm working on reproducing those and the next step is to kind of like get connected with um some sort of sciencey person archaeologist i guess is what they're probably called uh Mm -hmm. who is studying those things and maybe try to do an article or something around are these likely to hit museums what's the end result (sighs) i would love for that to be the end result is for me Mm -hmm. to get my work into a few different museums um, because these these ancient swords are housed in a few different museums around Europe, um, but unlike other 
uh, kind of like arms and armor section sections, um, you know, like, like, uh, what is it at the Met in New York, you can go back to the arms and armor and they have like the original ancient Viking swords. And then they have like a replica right next to it. So you can get an idea and a sense for what it looked like when it was brand fucking new. And, mm-hmm. but these swords, nobody's been able to replicate these patterns, so somebody could make like a mono steel sword, but it's not the same as representing those patterns. It's not the same. It's not the same. So <laughs> I want to. Uh, I want to. I would love to get these swords, these replicas, into some museums. Um, one, because that would be fucking cool to have your work in a museum. Oh, yeah. um, but two, to just like to to help people kind of really visualize and wrap their minds around because these swords that they have in the museums, one of the one thing they're like horribly, really poorly lit, and I think part of that is to kind of help protect these things and make sure they're mm. using the light right light and and not using too much of it to further damage them potentially because they're already extremely corroded. They were pulled out of a peat bog in Denmark um in like in the 1850s and then and then there was a massive break and they weren't actually able to get back and start digging um until like uh, yeah until what is it the 1980s or something like that and so but these swords again were originally manufactured anywhere from um like 100 ad to like 450 or 500 ad wow and then they just stopped and I think part yeah. of the reason they just stopped was because steel technology advanced to the point where all this laborious work that was going into making these really highly uh, ornate and patterned blades was completely unnecessary because there was a mono steel material that people could work with that didn't require as much work, outperformed the, the older stuff, wasn't as pretty, but it was a better weapon overall so that's when they transition from making a very super ornate sword blade to doing uh really ornate handles and then that's where you start seeing a lot more gilding and stone setting and precious metals being used in sword hilts and scabbards uh, which Mm. are like the sword sheaths so here's a question then so let's say a, a museum come to you and say okay we'd love to have your piece in but what we'd really like is like a little screen next to it showing you making it but you'd have to make it in the traditional way mm. would you say fuck you i've got a power hammer now oh, what, what, what would happen <laughs> so that's what so you I've normally say yes that's what you normally say to museum people yeah. fuck you <laughs> yeah Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Big long uh on that one. Um, Yeah, that's part of the puzzle. So I'm recreating these using modern technology and techniques and and materials and stuff like that. And so I think it is, I think the first step is to recreate them now with what I got and in modern ways. But then the next step is to then try to puzzle apart how these swords could have possibly been made in in the period in which they were originally made and manufactured based on the technology and tools um heat sources all kinds of stuff that was available to them at the time which is definitely not this they didn't have tig welders back then or or even fucking metal cutting bandsaws right they were hot cutting anything that needed to be cut right and so uh it's figuring out how they could have possibly made these incredibly intricate and ornate swords with such limited tools and technology. But I think I've also figured that out. 
Um, but that is a whole nother phase of what I've been learning is called experimental archaeology, which is basically um, just kind of through trial and error, trying to figure out how things were done in a time um, period, a certain time period. And especially when the techniques and, and, and stuff wasn't uh, that was used to create the stuff wasn't recorded because back in the day, like we've talked about a lot, uh, a few times before, you know, blacksmithing was like the, the, the techniques, um, and the processes. And those were like, those were trade secrets. Like you didn't tell you didn't, you'd sure as shit one probably didn't know how to write. So you couldn't properly <laughs> write them down anyways, but it was an oral tradition and it was a very master to apprentice tradition so mm. and it was a very so all the different techniques and ticks, uh, tricks that people would use were very guarded secrets because that way if somebody wanted a thing done they came to you and they could only come to you to get that very specifically uh specific thing done and cool. so there aren't any even any really any records of of how uh this stuff was done so i'm just doing the best guessing i can do um based on my understanding of technology then and and processes that were available to them then and um and just some creative tooling and but still just using technology that they could have used you know to as far as back as almost 2000 years ago right yeah wow wow it see it seems like that's something we come across in terms of their the what the experts are are not necessarily you know in history and in these mm. fields they don't have the practical experience to understand how these things happen. So they wouldn't even might, uh, archeologists might not even have, or, you know, historians might not even have the vocabulary understanding how something sure. was done anyway. Yeah. There's a, uh, I think he's a, a professor of physics, uh, from Germany and he's got this, uh, or in material sciences and physics. And he, I think he's retired now, but he has this, insanely deep like uh website that's just all uh, craig uh, craig would have a better idea of what this format is called but it's got like the whole toolbar on the left and it's kind of like a digital book and you can jump around through different chapters and pages um it's not necessarily a, a pdf but it's like it's got all these different hyperlinks anyways it's fucking like ancient a wiki, like a wiki yeah, kind of. Not even that sophisticated, honestly. It's oh, like right. really oh, right. fucking yeah. old. It looks like it's from 1995. Um, and so, uh, but even him with as much access to the best information and his background of material sciences and stuff, I look at his page and because he doesn't have a practical um, knowledge of the of this material making, I'm looking at his page and I'm like, nope, that's totally wrong. All of this is wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I actually, I didn't email him to just be like, sorry, this is all wrong. But I'm like, I think there might be some mistakes in some of the, like, wow. the thought process of some of this stuff. You should Karen him. <laughs> you know, you should knife Karen his ass. Is it be, be a sword Karen? Yeah, be a sword Karen. <laughs> Why not? So, dude, you got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Let me speak to your manager. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 100%. Yeah, yeah. Who's your boss? This actually this actually is very interesting. I think we can, you know, I have an idea of where we're going to go at, you know, because I have a, a story that's not too dissimilar in terms Ooh. of how we look at things and stuff like that. But what I okay. was wondering is for you, Mareko, is once you kind of get this thing done, let's say you got the you got everything squared away and, and you're you're you've always been very 
you always been very generous, but at the same mm-hmm. time, you you are guarded sometimes, which is great. Sure. Do you think that once this is done, you're going to be you're going to get messages saying, "How'd you do that? Show me how to do it." Oh, I'm already getting. Are you, is this something you're going to like hold close to the vest? Is this coming going to what do you what is your, the game plan? Yeah, so I unlocked, I guess is the best way I can term it or phrase it. Uh these patterns and how they could have possibly been made um at like 3 uh, at, like at the end of my time in Dragon's Breath. So like 2018, 2019. I figured them all. I actually like figured them all out kind of all at the same time. And then I was really excited because I was like, oh, I figured out, like, I decoded this mystery. And then I'm like, looking at the patterns, I'm like, well, these, they're interesting and challenging, but these are completely worthless in chef's knives. I have no use for these swords or for these patterns. They present really cool in, like, a sax or a sword or a dagger, but I don't make those things, right? And so mm. I'm like, oh, well, cool. I've, it's like I have the, the keys to a castle or Ferrari, but I have no use for it. Um, and and I've kept trying to figure out, you know, what is the value of this knowledge and understanding? And and that's when I finally, like, it took me a while to puzzle that. And I puzzled that out, honestly, like, over a few months. And I finally realized, like, this, this was the pinnacle of sword ornamentation in the ancient world before, honestly, before our modern times. Like, the work that... Um, especially like uh, Jamie Lundell is doing with his mosaic pattern swords is the actually is the very closest to what they were doing 2000 years ago, which is kind of fucking crazy to think about that. We're only just rediscovering this technology or this approach to making really illuminated and ornate swords. And so figuring that out, I'm like, okay, so I'm going to hold on to that. Cause at first I was like, well, I have no use for this. I'll just give it to a bunch of people. And, but then I'm like, but I, part of like, part of my ego is like, well, I kind of want credit for like figuring this out and, yeah. and rediscovering this. But how do I go about doing that? Oh, maybe if I can get a hold of an archeologist somehow who can write, help write like a scholarly article or a paper and get published in an archeology span journal journal or something like that. Um, but that's been kind of, I mean, I've slowly started to make some of those connections, but it's still a little bit of a road for me to go down or path to go down. So if anybody listening happens to know the right oh, person yeah. uh, to DM connect you. with. Then, DM uh, you. Yeah, don't <laughs> fucking DM Knife Talk, I swear to God. No, DM me. Yeah. And if it's bullshit, you're getting oh. blocked. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, so a- what I've come to is I do want to go down the path of getting an article written, uh, get some pieces like to some museums, and then slowly start to um, kind of divulge some of this knowledge and understanding to some people that I know personally um, who can benefit from this sword making uh, mm-hmm. approach. Like like Jamie or uh, Matt Barry or Peter Johnson, who's over in Sweden, or uh, Ryan Brewer, or you know, we have a lot. We know a lot of guys who do really great stuff. Uh, David Delagardell, you know, um, there's tons of guys who who make swords, but who would love to benefit from these. Because really, like after I start dispelling that or like putting this information out there, uh, like. These are swords that people have wanted recreations of, but literally nobody's been able to do because they haven't been able to recreate. They just, nobody's been able to figure it out. Um, And I figured it out. And so somebody told me like, oh, you should, uh, you should 
like somehow like copyright protector or patent it or something like that. And if somebody wants to use it, then they can pay I'm like licensing fees or some shit. I'm like, that seems like a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I don't know <laughs> yeah. if that would really pan out very well. What I mean, they just start, start chasing people down. Hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You haven't paid me $10. Uh, Speaking of which, so. I smell a new Patreon tier. <laughs> <laughs> the sword you know, makers tier. So. The, fucking, the fucking ancient, the, the uh, Indiana Momasi foundation <laughs> you so, know that's that's where da vinci code level yeah patreon <laughs> so to answer your question jeff that's that's kind of my plan is to eventually or maybe do like uh like zach jonas up in new hampshire uh does all these great classes with peter johnson actually peter johnson um was the maker who first introduced me to these patterns or it, the the mystery of these patterns i'd actually seen them around before but i didn't really think anything of them and then he kind of conveyed the whole story and the mystery about them to me and i was like well that's a lot more interesting than just randomly finding that on a google image search of damascus um and that's when i started digging into them and that was probably 2017 uh, and pretty so, impressive so exciting so that's you think it's exciting yeah it's exciting it's cool um yeah it, it would be really cool especially like i don't know like being i think part of being human is like recognizing your mortality and it's like okay what legacy do we leave behind how how did we help people how did we um you know help the world in general and i don't know if it necessarily helps the world but i think it does it, it, the idea of something that i've developed or created or rediscovered kind of like being kind of at least temporarily immortalized in a museum somewhere you know until mm. the sun blows up and consumes the earth oh, geez. Oh, I, <laughs> oh, happy yeah. days. let's hope you get in the museum before then yeah. Morocco, for fuck's yeah. sake jesus christ <laughs> that's, you know that's like that's like another five billion years down the road we're good okay. but yeah. anyways that's what well, i've been up to i could do something quite similar yeah uh, too. with regards to all this traditional me stuff, too so i found a sword i found a sword pattern from um the ancient uh the, the ancient sugandis people do you know about them <laughs> Tell me all about the Sugandis. <laughs> Craig? Sugandis nuts. Sugandis balls. I get Sugandis it. I get nuts. it. Nuts. Yeah, Sugandis nuts. <laughs> um, well, yeah, with regards to doing something very traditional, I was I was there in my pants, got a knock on the door, and somebody brought me a lovely shiny billet of Dharma steel. Ooh. I then went on to knife print <laughs> and designed something very similar to what you're doing there, Morocco. Okay. Um, that's a bit of a joke. Uh, but, but in all seriousness, that's what I've been doing. I've started my, uh, my Dharma steel build-along knife. Um, and it is a, a charcuterie knife. Ooh. Um, yeah, so it's, it's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, use knife print. Um, for those who don't know what it is, it's, it's CAD in the browser. Um, so no one needs to download any sort of licensing or anything. They'll pay for any licensing and that kind of stuff. Um, really super simple to use. And um, I found it really, really nice, actually, because this is a knife that I've never made before. This a sort of charcuterie style knife. Uh, so it was, not, it was a bit of fun just to play with it, see how it would look and all that kind of stuff. Um, what you can do, obviously, with knife print is print it out to paper, which is what I've done, which I've used to then trace onto the Dharma steel. And um, 
it cuts so easily with a tiny little bandsaw. It cuts really nicely. Um, but if you wanted, if you weren't doing the build along and you wanted to use knife print, you can you can just print out onto steel. They'll they'll laser jet it or water jet cut it and and send it to you. So take a look at knifeprint.com. I've been using it this week. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about this about this build along knife. Um, I haven't really completed a knife in so so long. Um, you know, something new like this. So it it, it is quite exciting and. Um, yeah, it's. Have you guys done anything with your damn still yet for the build? I've looked at it real hard. Nice. No, no, no. You got a real hard hey, look, girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and no, I've because uh, I've been talking about the idea of trying to make some shears, and uh, I got the piece, and it is very limited in dimension, and yep. so I'm I'm puzzling it out. I'm trying to figure out how I can make it happen. I have some ideas, um, and I'm excited to kind of puzzle that out or try to plan and work that out a little bit more to see if it's actually a viable process but yeah. um yeah it'll be it, it'll be interesting otherwise i'll just probably just <laughs> do like a honesky or something like that hmm. some i think we're gonna see lots nice. of interesting designs because the fact that it is it's not quite big enough for a full chef knife um so yeah everybody's having the same the same piece by the way everybody's having the same design exactly the same dimensions um so i think people are gonna have to be a bit creative so we will see some really cool stuff mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's going to be fun. Yeah. You could just if you were short on tang material, you could probably get away with welding a couple extra inches on the tang. Yeah. I mean, there wouldn't I think, really yeah, be Yeah, I think so. If it yeah, obviously if it's, a, if it's a hidden tang, nobody'd ever know. Yeah. You could do a full I tang know. add and just weld a little bit extra on there. Would no one, you know, it wouldn't hurt either. And use a sharpie on the spine, well, is it, and just make it Well, I mean, I mean, <laughs> that that I mean, you know, that's the answer. That's an ancient technique. You didn't know about a bet. Yeah. Figure that one out. You, uh, on what, are, what are the guidelines for this build? It's it has to be something culinary, right? And it has to just be, culinary. And it's it has, all. Oh, it's the only brief we've got. Yeah. yeah well, so. and it has to also be made from this very specific pattern and dimension material. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But otherwise, it's kind of open range. It's or open. Free, free yeah. Game. Yeah, Overseas. exactly. So, so yeah. So, I think it's going to be good seeing what people do with it. Um, so, I wanted to do something a little bit different that I hadn't done before. So, I thought a charcuterie knife could be quite cool. It's the right time of year to be using them. Um, yeah, it's exciting. Is I that going to have? Pardon oh, me. Sorry, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say, is that the type with that little kick up with the two with the fork on the top? It is. Yes, oh. yes. With a little the the viper's tongue at the top. Yeah. What what if wow. you try to get multiple knives out of one piece? It could be like a little mini set. Would that be submissible? As long as it's culinary, I don't see why not. Yeah, mm, yeah, interesting. Also, I saw this post <laughs> the other day that I thought was really funny, and it said that the charcuterie board is out and the snackle box is in. Yeah, oh, I heard about the you, fucking snackle <laughs> box. the snackle box. So basically, it's one of those uh, like tool separators or parts separators that you can get at a hardware store with like anywhere from twelve to forty eight different compartments, and in oh. every single compartment, there's like uh, like dill pickles and <laughs> you know oh, apricot. Like you get on an airplane, exactly. Shitty little oh man, <laughs> it's like a no. snack pack, but for grown up or yeah, whatever, wherever you want to take it, but um. Yeah, I thought it was really funny. The snackle box. Yeah. Snackle. You, just like um, Craig, th- you could have like eight different cheeses in the fucking thing. I know. I imagine. Mean, imagine. That, wouldn't be enough room. Eight, wouldn't be enough. Eight. This fucking guy <laughs> is eight right in front of him right now. <laughs> <laughs> he also probably has at least a Do you have a beer in front of you? 
I've got nothing in front oh, of me, absolutely Craig. nothing, and I and I need something because I'm, I'm really slightly disappointed. Yeah, All right, we'll give you a break. We'll let Craig, uh, Jeff talk <laughs> about his last week. You go get a drink, Jeff. It's what's fine. been going on? It's fine. Actually, something interesting happened. Uh, we were talking. We'll be the judge of that, Jeff. <laughs> uh, you fucking snackle box. Talk, you. Tell me what to think. <laughs> you. We, last week we were talking about. We were talking with uh, about uh, our friend uh, J Mod Knives. Did a uh, and he was he had mentioned that he had made a knife for Tony Hawk and Jason Ellis and he actually on his reels if you go follow J Mod Knives he has how they opened it up and we were talking about making knives for famous people and is there some sort of value and stuff like that and it just happened to be this fr this friend of mine who's the chef she her name's Julia Davison has been uh, she's the face of um, America's Test Kitchen and she I've been working with her for a while and she's been really really helpful and really great and I decided we we're gonna just make her a nice uh, offset serrated knife just as thank you because she's really been like a real champion for us and, and is appreciated so I decided that, well, why don't I just do a reel on how I make the serrations for the for this chef for this uh, offset serrated? So I try to keep it very simple, and I really try to make it very simple and like as kind of easy to understand. No talking, and just like there the first scene, and I'm you know you can see that I marked out the spacings. In the second scene, I used the broad back and I turned it sideways, and I had the contact wheel, and then there's the I made a you know I made a rest, and then I sh and you, it shows you how I made the. The serrations and I, and I thought to myself should i be sh sharing this and for me the interesting thing is and this is coming back to what Mareko was just talking about was do i share this and when i think about for me in the past number of years what social media has been for me it's been for business like i have friendships and i have friends and stuff like that but like i'm not i'm not in the i'm not in the i mean i do the content here but like my my focus of the content is to sell knives and to make money and to you know show people what we're doing. So I'm focusing all the posts on potential customers. So I think to myself, like, all right, well, that it'll be it's it'll be interesting for them to kind of see how it's done. Well, yeah. obviously, you are going to get knife makers. You know, that's the great part about social media is you you end up having a lot of knife making friends and you meet new people and then they're helping each other and they're converging and there's blah blah blah. So I got a lot of like, wow, that was really cool. I didn't know how that's how you do it. And, you know, for, and then a lot of knife makers started piping in and then there, I started to get the, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I started getting the, how'd you do that? And what is the contact wheel size? And they wanted these very specific questions. And I was answering, it's not really, making a serrated knife isn't just a one answer. You know, no. you have your angle that you're putting it on and you have your dimension size of your radius and then you also have your spacing you know one contact wheel based on how you hold it on the knife is going to be different that's just the way it is based on the spacing and how deep you go hmm. and i started to get kind of irritated because there was a couple guys who were you know i think they were getting irritated that i wasn't giving them exact answers like oh, oh I you owe it to them don't you know that well, here's the problem. Here's the this is the problem. You can't just tease them like that. This is you got to give them the whole thing. Well, here's like I said, this is the problem. A lot of these guys, and I've been saying this for a long time. I've always felt like blacksmiths, bladesmiths, makers in general are problem solvers. And you're starting to see more and more of these people not willing to say, "Okay, well, how would I go about figuring this out?" I mean, I gave mm. I gave it if you watch that video, I showed you the 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 rough the rough brush strokes of the broad strokes of how to do it easy you know and comfortably 
And it was like these specific questions that I was just like, yeah, I can't really can't really give you that answer not because it'll want to but because it's it's too long you know the spacing and the size and the difference and what you're looking for and one guy was just like well if you don't want to give it to me fine or something like that <laughs> and i was like motherfucker why don't you go get a goddamn bread knife out of your drawer and measure it you know and measure the spacing and measure the the size of the and i felt like i was just so irritated because it was just like i I'm doing enough for you. And then the other thing is, is how come you're not doing any problem solving whatsoever? And then these other guys are just like, well, you know, I did it. I said, why don't you get some scrap metal and try some different combinations out? Yeah, fuck And that was like, I mean, I'm, that might have, might as well have been a eureka moment for some. It mm. was crazy. I was just like, I don't, when Mareko came to my shop years ago and he showed me how he did it, one of the, the things that I took away from was he had put his hand on the on he was using it on on the on the grinder and he was using the top wheel but he had one hand resting to be comfortable so he could be you know comfortable and set in set where he's supposed to be when he puts the serrations in yeah. and i mm-hmm. kind of took that as like it reminded me of when i was welding and you don't just like start holding the gun out and start waving it around and it <laughs> works you you're, you're in a comfortable position and you you know you're traveling and then you're figuring it all out yeah i was surprised I'm surprised, and I guess I shouldn't be, at how I'm saying feckless in the in the most respectful way possible. People are in terms of makers are in terms of mm. trying to figure things out. Like Mareko, yeah. he figured out something based off of the things that he you used experimentation to try to figure out how to recreate this sword. I didn't like design <laughs> this thing. This came from somewhere. This came from me doing serrations. Came from something I learned from Mareko, something I figured out on my own, and then it's an evolution of the process, but it's like experimentation. Right. Yeah. It's not just like three-eighths. That's the answer. The answer is three-eighths. It, it's, yeah. it's the roll-up-your-sleeves factor. So I did. I came to your shop, just like you said. Right. I did a really fucking quick and dirty. I was like, ah, this is yeah. all I got to do. Like fucking 10 minutes, maybe, maybe less. But that's all I needed to, to, as a starting and th- point. Exactly. And then you rolled your fucking sleeves up, and you mm. figured it out. And I think that's the problem is a lot of people, uh, I don't know why, they, I don't know where it comes from. Me I either. think that the style of post you put up was almost like, this is how it's done kind of thing. Mm. And I think then people think it's open season. Like, oh, he's shown us how he's doing it. Now we can drill down. Let's get more from him. And um, you tease people. But it's your own fault. No, you te- as <laughs> you tease. You, were li- you were literally edging them. That's what oh, you were doing. God. You were edging let's not the crap. Let's not, let's not use, some, use some of your perverted... <laughs> vocabulary if you don't With like broad strokes and edging all right That's what this one's gonna fucking, be called <laughs> no we're not calling that we have no, come on man but no but seriously seriously the thing is is like i've been critical of a lot of metal workers because a lot of these guys have very little experience practical experience on figuring things out like if you were a blacksmith and you had to figure out how to do a railing hmm. you don't call up the guy next to you and say how do i build this you draw it out. You figure it out. You try things out. Like I didn't just start like all of a sudden. It, I just started figuring it out. I, I I had to get lots of steel, and then I had to make marks, mm. and then I had to make you know spacings, and then I had to do, try different contact wheels, and then figure it out. It wasn't like an answer. You sure, know, it was yeah. it was like, well, this works for this. This doesn't work for this. I'm comfortable here. This is the way I I do it. And I was just like surprised. Not surprised. Not even disappointed. It was like just the way it is but the, i was more surprised that people were irritated for me 
for not giving them an answer. And it wasn't even an answer to give, you know, a spacing and radiuses are, it's, it's like an equation. It's equation based on what you want. Speaking yeah. of which I ended up apologizing to Laren Thomas, Dr. Laren oh, Thomas boy. was on the new episode of full blast because the last time he was here on knife talk, I thought I was going to be clever and have, and say to him, you know, for the listeners, what's your, favorite recipe for AEBL? And it was like, it was too easy of a question. It was too difficult a question to answer. And he, you know, he hedges things. And after I got his book, Knife Engineering, I was like, all right, there's, there's, you know, there's too many factors. It was too hard of a question for him to answer at the point. And I apologize to him. And it's the same thing because I'm just saying, and I did the same thing. But sometimes I, I am shocked that people are not willing to put in the amount of, you know, work it takes to get these things done. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think it's the roll up your sleeves factor. Like some people just think that they should just have it served to them on a platter. And I think it, it is a lot of hard work and troubleshooting and figuring experimentation, but you get, I feel like you, and, and maybe it's just like a certain approach or mentality about it, but I feel like I get more out of it by doing going through the process of experimentation and troubleshooting and figuring things like i want to i want to forge a hammer i've seen a hammer forged once by one of the best hammer makers i know or i guess team uh you know cliff and, and sunset but uh outside of that i've never really seen a demonstration i've seen lots of different style hammers um i've just through pictures and different progress progression images i've been able to find um, I've kind of puzzled out how I would approach forging a hammer. And before I even think to call Cliff or John and be like, well, I completely fucked this up. Where did I go wrong? I'm going to go through that process of trying to figure it out and, and be willing to fuck it up. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. It, it feels to me like there's almost, and I'm not trying to be shitty to anybody but there's almost like a sense of entitlement like i should be getting like this information should be giving to me willingly when really like the scaffolding you laid out there was probably more than enough for anybody mm -hmm. who's willing to roll their fucking sleeves up and do a little bit of work to figure it out this is a societal issue though i mean that right. whole entitlement yeah. is like is a, it's a societal issue it's yeah and it's unfortunately when you cr create a hobby that has potential for money making or what you think is money making right. all of a sudden you realize every step you make you're on the clock and you need to figure these things out quickly so sure. you don't lose money i think another mistake people make is like they're getting they're asking you all these specific questions and i think what's happening is they're seeing what you've built and the success that you have with with fader knives and and everything that they're like oh if i just do the exact same thing build my knives the exact same way i'll have the same success success and that is not at all it's it's not ex like obviously the work has to be good but it's not just the knives it's you yeah your brand uh. your reputation your rapport that you've built not only with the maker community but with your clients and that goes a lot fucking farther than the exact fucking spacing. Sorry, I'm getting really twisted up. <laughs> but no, it's fine. The exact spacing between each serration. And I think yeah. that's something else that people got to try to keep in mind. It's not just the work. It's also it, the yeah. brand. It also and it's just fucking politeness, too. <laughs> if you're putting something out there for people to, you know, to, to, 
to learn from. Maybe you'll field a couple of questions, but if somebody's asking, you know, five, six questions, then getting irritated because you're not giving them the answer they want, they can, yeah, they can fuck right off, <laughs> you know? And there was Jeez. a couple of guys who, and they snuck into my DMs who were telling me, oh, the, oh, that's how you do it. Oh, that's how I would, that's how I would do it. It's like, you wouldn't do it because you didn't do it, you know? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> Dude, you fucking... It never even occurred to you to do it. And now all of a sudden you, you know, you're Mr. Fucking Teeth. Get out of here, man. I don't know. I, it's a, it's a, it's um, I'm glad I did it. I'm happy to help people. At the same time, it's just like, I'm not sitting on Instagram ready to write a million answers. And it's just like, yeah. I feel like as though I gave a lot and I gave enough. And it's like, you should be able to fucking figure this out at this point. And in an easy fashion. I mean, Craig and I have been talking about goddamn serrated knives for how many years now? And then yeah, five, you, six, yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden after we've been talking about it for so long, and then now, you know, we put something I put something up that was with a lot of people's thing. This is a good like you like Marek was saying, a good scaffolding that you should be able to kinda like, let's move it along here, you know, mm-hmm. fool around a bit. But that's yeah. it. That's all I'm, I, it is an interesting conversation only because it is does you know, it makes me wonder about what you're going to do, Morocco, in terms of like you know you were very generous with your time, and actually when I was when I had uh, Laren Thomas's new book is coming out in a couple of weeks, and I know mm. and I got a I got a preview of it, I got to read it a, a lot of it, and there was a big section on Morocco, and it was really interesting because it was this whole idea of. Um, the book is going to be really cool because this isn't going to be like knife engineering. It's going to be more like a history of knife steel. Mm-hmm. And the, and it, I, from what I've read, it, it really is going to be a great read. And it's like the history. You're talking about the differences between Bill Moran and, and Bob Loveless and the different companies and how these things... It, it really is a really cool book, so... Um, but it's interesting because it is about, you know, you are, you talk and there's a section in about how you, I believe, I believe you were saying that, you know, people don't really like it that I was giving away, you know, uh, a pattern welder Wednesdays. Mm, sure. And it was the really interesting conversation of what do you give? What do you keep? And what, you know, right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, I've, I've had some help from my wife when it comes to editing my portion because, um, the interview with Laren, I was just like. I didn't realize it was going to be like an interview and then it was going to be quoted verbatim (laughs) for the book. So I I had my wife help me with editing a little bit so I didn't sound like such an idiot. Um, It sounded like you talk like on here. You sounded fine. It's like an idiot. I know. No, no, no. (laughs) I read it. It didn't sound like an idiot at all. I read the whole thing. Not the whole thing, but I read most of it. It's going to be a good book. Okay. Let's move along. Let's move along. Shall we do some questions? Whatever you want. Okay. Well, first of all. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To find your next oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. There we go. Okay. Narin McDonald has DM'd us on uh, Instagram. We are Knife Talk Podcast. Um, and he said, here's a better question, which... I assume he sent a bad question beforehand. He did. <laughs> he did. Okay. Okay. We should have just done that one. Right? Yeah, I forgot to um, He says, I've got a piece of the Dharma steel of Inland uh, for the build along. I don't have aluminium plates for plate quenching. Is it advisable to just air cool it um, and then into dry ice? And he says he doesn't have any liquid nitrogen either. Um, thanks. Um, so what do you guys think? He doesn't have any plates or liquid nitrogen. Sure. Uh, I have only oil quenched 
my Dama steel. Uh, and a big part of that is because when I'm making something out of damaged steel, it's been forged and it has a for forged integral bolster. And so um, you can't really squish that between plates with the forged integral bolster. Plus, uh, when I forge, it's not flat. It, it's tapered from spine to edge and then from spine to tip. And so it's yeah. tapered the whole way. So it's it's plates are not really um, an option for me. Also, I don't have <laughs> aluminum quenching plates, so I've always just done oil. And I've had good success, and they have on their website, uh, they have ad, 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 uh, whatever it's called, advice uh, and information on how to go through the oil quenching process. In fact, I don't even think they talk about the aluminum quenching. They might. I don't want to say that. But I know that they talk about oil quenching. Yeah. And what, do, they yeah. Do, what they say on there is exactly what I did. I got great results and I was very happy with it in regards to, and we did last time I think Laren, or no, who was I talking to? I was talking to Sean Houston and when it comes to sub zero treatment, uh, so that can be sub zero or cold treatment is like a freezer. Sub zero would mm -hmm. be doing like the dry ice and denatured alcohol. And then a cryo treatment would literally be using uh, liquid nitrogen or a extreme sub zero freezer. So there are some freezers that get down to like negative 250 Calvin or something like that, um, which are insanely cold. Um, so, but a liquid nitrogen treatment is also perfectly doable. Uh, and again, they have information on their websites uh, are on not their multiple websites, but on their website, uh, what is it, damasteellab.com or something like that? You guys are gonna that's it, Damasteel Lab on Instagram, <sighs> oh, and uh, damasteel.se on the website. <laughs> Perfect, I fucked that all up too. Uh, no, I'm not, <laughs> but anyways, all the, the, the information's on there, um, so I would go by that. But what, what experience do you guys have with working with the Damasteel? Um, plates for me the, the first time I used it. But, uh, Jeff, your award-winning Dharma Steel Knife, what did you use? I used plates, and I did not do cryo. I did use the freezer. Yeah. I didn't have cryo for the time, at the time. I did use the freezer. Um, there are schedule, there are heat treatment schedules that, uh, that allow for, you know, that adjust based on whether or not you're going to, like, you know, you can temper something hotter if you want it a little bit on the softer side. You, there are different treatments that you can use. And I remember that there was a schedule that was a little bit more forgiving if you were not using uh, cryo. Mm. But shout out to cryo. I, I used, I still have my doer. I had just enough cryo, a liquid nitrogen in my doer. But the funny thing was, it was just like, I just don't know if, if I put the last couple knives in the doer, I don't know if the whole thing is going to touch. So I tied them to a little wire, dropped them in, and then I, took the whole doer and rested it on its side oh, so yeah. so then there all of a sudden and i was i thought i was the smartest goddamn guy of all time That's and then the frost came the frost came up on the handle and i knew that it would that it, everybody but in the the in the liquid nitrogen but i felt like such a pro i had the doer on i was <laughs> i was on fumes man i was on fumes with my doer i have fucking thing was on its side i was like look at me fucking <laughs> i was like driving the car on empty you know, it had the empty <laughs> sign, and I'm like, I fucking got this. Don't worry, I'll make it to the next gas station. <laughs> so. I, I will say, um, if somebody wants to do the dry, uh, what is it? Yeah, the dry ice with the liquid nit, or sorry, with with the denatured alcohol. Go to go to like Home Depot or something. Yeah, I don't Get, think so. Not Home Depot. You gotta not, go to like a welding supply store. 
Oh, to get well, the my ice. Home Depot carries denatured alcohol by oh, a gallon. Well, sorry. And so uh, wherever you can get it, whether it's a welding shop or Home Depot, wherever, Lowe's maybe even, or Ace, whoever, whatever the fuck. The dry ice is the issue. It's not the denatured alcohol. Oh, the, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, the dry ice can be an issue for sure. Um, but is I just want to be clear, like, I used to think that just because I put the dry ice and the denatured alcohol, it's cold. But if it's still bubbling at all, that means the denatured alcohol is still coming down in temperature. It is not matching the temperature of the dry ice. And so, you you know, you don't really count the time until that bubbling has start, stopped. But once it has stopped, you only need, like, half an hour or an hour, like, I think it's like half an hour, 45 minutes or something like that, um, Mm. at that low temperature and then you're good. Um, so that is just something to keep in mind because I think in the past I've just put the knife in, covered it in denatured alcohol, put dry ice in there and then started the clock. But (laughs) that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, exactly what I should have been doing. Now it's still probably got a, a good, cold treatment but it didn't probably get that deep uh like deep free or like sub-zero i think it's denatured alcohol and dry ice can get down to like a negative 110 or 120 or something like that um and so once it stops bubbling you know it's there and uh and then yeah just give it like half an hour 40 minutes do its thing um i I think i'm trying to remember i i did a foam cooler last time because if you're not careful and you use like a plastic cooler, the plastic well, can actually potentially crack and shatter. And then that denatured alcohol, depending on the construction of that cooler, could just go all over the place. If you do a solid foam cooler, though, um, then it's not going to crack. But it ho- insulates really nicely, and it'll help keep things together. And ideally, if it has a lid, that's even better. But I did one gallon of denatured alcohol, and I think there was like eight pounds of dry ice or something and i just piled it in there and so uh that that was my move the last time i did sub-zero treatment don't get any of that denatured alcohol or dry ice on your wiener oh no oh no oh no (laughs) and you could probably get dry ice not at a welding store you could probably go to omaha steaks and buy some fucking steaks (laughs) get yourself a bad bad call that's not a bad call either. Get yourself a wad of steaks. You're going to sell that damn deal. Get yourself a fucking grip of steaks. And then the, 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 and the oh ice is God. free. And the ice is free. Dry yeah. ice. And, you know, eat yourself something nice. Yeah, I'm know? lucky. My, my local grocery store just sells dry ice. That's uh, crazy. Sometimes ice cream shops sell dry ice. Like we got a Baskin mm. Robbins, like a 31 Flavors over here. I don't know if they have those over on the East Coast. but Yes. I don't know. And anyways, do you can um, fucking go to an ice cream store and ask for dry ice. What two scoops? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. I got two dry scoops ice and a couple scoops ice? of like the extra fudgy chocolate ice cream. <laughs> which awesome. is your? Which is wait a second? Which is your Baskin Robbins favorite flavor? Oh my god, I I have no idea. There's Jamocha like almond fudge, fudge. There's like a fudge brownie chocolate situation. That's there's one. Good. Gold medal ribbon. That's oh, the greatest yeah. of all time. Gold medal ribbon is the greatest of all time. Oh, never mind. So, we think we covered that. You know what? P.S. Naren, go to the fucking scrapyard and get a couple blocks of steel of, of, of aluminum. That's it. That's what I did. I went to my steel yard 
and he had some drops of aluminum and I just got some aluminum. It's not like sure. uranium for Christ's sakes. It's probably easier to get <laughs> it's probably easier to get <laughs> aluminum than it is to get dry ice, frankly. Yeah. You know? Probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, next question. Combat Abrasives makes the world's best abrasive belts for knife makers. Available in any size at unbelievable prices. Go take a look at CombatAbrasives.com and get 15% off with promo code KNIFETALK15. Do it now. Do it now. Who wants to take the next one? This next one is from Corey Phillips. He says, Jeff has mentioned multiple times that keeping blades sharp at home is one of the biggest problems that most people face. Interest, interestingly, uh, it seems to be a problem across many fields. For example, I was talking to my dentist about how they sharpen their instruments, and they said they hated doing it, and it was difficult. From what I can tell, there's not a standard for sharpening, even in a field like dentistry. Why do you think learning sharpening is so difficult for people? Why do you think people avoid learning the principles of stone sharpening when it is the most universal way to sharpen all kinds of blades? Number one, if you ask your dentist how they sharpen their shit and they say they hate doing it, you know, it's not easy. <laughs> Change your dentist. Changing my fucking dentist. I don't want to know. I don't want to know any of that shit. You're going to put some fucking jagged ass hook in your mouth? No, thank you. I blame <laughs> Gillette razors. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. I'll just leave it there. Thanks for listening. See you guys. <laughs> yeah, and he's out. I blame Gillette. I'm out. Bombasi out. Yeah, so before Gillette came up with their, I can't remember if they did the safety razor first, but, um, you know, a lot of people were using straight razors, which was a tool that you repeatedly sharpened and kept honed so you could properly sharpen without tearing your face up. And they had this idea for making a razor that was going to be the best razor, but it's also going to be like whatever readily available for the consumer to use. And, and somebody, I can't remember the story exactly. I, uh, I think I read it in one of Seth Godin's book, but um, basically somebody advised him um, that he figures out how to make the razors disposable because the problem is, is the, the, the shaver lasts for a long time the handle right but yeah, yeah. if you could figure out how to basically uh engineer obsolescent and you know create a, a product that works for a good amount of time until you have to until it doesn't and then you got to throw it away and that's where the disposable razor came in so then that had become people the, the, the light bulb went off in people's heads oh, how do we figure out how to make these things last just long enough that people are happy with them and then they have to turn around and reinvest. And and that's kind of honestly what it, it's become for anywhere from surgical tools um, to art supply to the fucking knives that we use in our kitchens. Even though they're different in size, the knives that you can buy commercially, it's if you're spending less than a couple hundred dollars, it's probably not something that's really well designed to last for a long period of time and hmm. so i think i i blame gillette that motherfucker what do you think the hardness on one of those razors would be those disposable not, razors? Pr- not very hard if it doesn't really have to be hmm. don't you think well so it's the well one hair is actually a really terrible thing for a fine edge uh, uh hilariously enough because you need that fine edge to actually properly cut a hair or to shave your 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 facial hair or whatever you're shaving <laughs> and um 
and but hair is extremely abrasive and and hard on an edge and so especially those short and curlies especially yeah, especially. yeah. yeah. yeah going back to manscaping yeah um <laughs> and so and, and and sean houston has actually done some testing with um with uh what is it, disposable razors uh that are designed for a straight razor or uh what is it it's a safety razor, not a straight razor. Right. A safety mm. razor blade, uh, which you can still buy and use, and lots of people actually still use them, um, yeah. because they're super thin and they're they're high hardness, and they have an ultra fine edge. But it's because it's so fine, and del- it's also delicate, and because it's cutting hair, hair is really hard on that razor, and so um, that is why those edges eventually get dull they used to make like these a very elaborate like rehoning and sharpening systems for for safety razor edges and they stopped doing those because people are like oh people will just throw that shit away and buy some more from us great let's do that yeah yeah but one of the real probably at one reason why and we talk about this only because i mean the sharpening thing is is because it is it is i mean it isn't it has to be one of the reasons why our customers as knife makers come back to us either because it makes, we figure out a way to make it easier for people to sharpen or we help them in order to get sharp. We're, we're, this is a, this is an issue that needs to be addressed. But the interesting thing is it's because no real, there's no standard on culinary knives or just Mm. culinary knives. There's no standard on knives in terms of the geometry. There just isn't. And, and that's what makes it harder to figure out how to do it. There's a, sure. we talk about that, that there's um, I don't know if you, I get now all of a sudden we start talking about that uh, sharpening company that has the magnet and then they have the roller wheel and then it rolls back and forth. You know, yeah. we talk, whatever it's called. Yeah. And um, I was, and then they, they do this video on, don't you hate using a whetstone? And they're just dragging the whetstone, <laughs> they're dragging their <laughs> knife around that whetstone. And everybody's, everybody's comments are well that's not really how you use a whetstone well don't hmm. don't tell people that's how you use a whetstone that ain't how you do it and it's just there's it, there's too many things and it just it is infuriating however one of the interesting things about it, there are knife uh, hunting knife companies that have figured out that you can use that gillette system or the uh exacto knife system or the whatever the replaceable razor system for hunting knives so you don't have to sharpen your hunting knife so it's like almost like a uh, reuse or or a disposable scalpel and they're they're moving them like crazy because people just don't really have the time or energy to keep their shit really sharp Mm. Mm. okay we're never gonna fit we're never gonna answer the quiet we got to figure something out Somebody, I know, yeah. We we get this question every week at the well, moment. That's we a, a better way to that's, sharpen. Because yeah. that's the pro, that's we're, it's issues that we're going to have to deal with with our customers. Save big on brunch for mom. All in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for one twenty nine each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine a pound. All with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Yeah. You know, with the stuff we make last week, you know, Mareko was talking about how he sees that it's his, he makes the knife and he has a, 
he has like a degree of ownership on it throughout its life. And we have you know, certain responsibilities to our customers to either show them how to do it or do it ourselves. Mm. So, well, and part of the question, I guess I was trying to answer was why do you, why do you think learning sharpening is so difficult for people? And I actually don't think it is difficult. I think we've been trained to not care. Right. And I think that is the real problem. We don't care about a lot of stuff. Yeah. Sharpening yeah, knives is the least of our worries. Right. You know, my motherfuckers are fat. <laughs> I mean, let's, 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 let's cut the shit. I mean, you know, come on, do it, eat a salad. You know, that, something. <laughs> okay. Speedster Stoves has sent in a question too. Greetings. Uh, a question just for the crack. Uh, it seems people with, uh, it seems popular with some knife makers to make historical pieces. Um, so my question is, if you had the time, uh, what historical blade would you like to have a go at pulling together? Um, cheers. And that's Gary from Speedster Stoves. Um, historical pieces, I think, well, Morocco, topped off the show. Topped off the show with that in, in great detail. Jeff, have you got any interest in, in historical pieces? This was when I was going to, you know, put that Sugandi's joke in, but it just didn't seem like it was appropriate. Um, I don't know. I don't really think about it. I mean, I'm still like, I'm still interested in doing a kukri only because of the historical interest of my, my my father the first big knife i ever saw was my father brought a kukri back from world war ii and mm. i never got it and it's now in the hands of someone else and I, it always seemed to me like that was something for me that how would any any interest at all would just because of like my relationship with my father and that and i have a piece of apex ultra that i kind of started doing it uh, Keith Colby over at knifematerial.at sent me some, and I just have not gotten a chance to get to it. But I, I, I'd like to do a kukri for sure, at least one, you know. Mm -hmm. And then the funny thing is, it's the, some I made one. The one I made with the Apex Ultra is the same shape as one of my lure sculptures. So I'm going to do the, uh, a lure sculpture oh, nice. sheath for the kukri. So lure right. a lukri, a lukri. Something to keep in mind for that sheath is you probably have to keep a long one portion in. of the spine. Right open well, i already get that figure that out nice yeah. it's gonna be yeah well done we can do what about you craig you're gonna do like a uh, one of them scottish knives that you stick under your under your kilt <laughs> what was that called again <laughs> your kilt what is, the what is that thing called Marekko? that uh open doob a doobin bob up ski and do skibbity do you know You're what? Insulting I've got somebody's no... culture. All Jeff. right, they can Jesus take it. I, I insult a lot of people's cultures. The Scots <laughs> can take care of themselves; they'll be fine. Yeah. As much as I appreciate, you know, sort of historical pieces and that, I've got no real interest in 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 sort of making them. Um, I like thinking sort of outside the box a bit, and that, you know what things could be. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a knife is a knife. There's not there's not that many different ways you can make a knife. Um, but yeah, I've gotten a real interested in in older knives and you know and and particular shapes, that kind of thing. I just want to make something that that's functional, that works well, and um, and have fun doing it. That's that's uh, that's my thing, I suppose. I have a great idea. You know what you should do? You should talk oh, to your go. drummer from Noasis. <laughs> and you should have yeah. him design something and then you could have the noasis knife no it's quite okay yeah, well, it's quite okay. obviously that wasn't a very good 
question i guess i gave to you a suggestion yeah, it wasn't uh, <laughs> it's staying in the edit too making oh. make you look really silly <laughs> <laughs> okay if you're down south and you're in texas and you're looking for somewhere to buy some materials where the hell would you go jeff i would look for whatever big jake barbecue go goes <laughs> you must have burnt ends money <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the after show if you want burnt ends but you don't have burnt ends money you know what you're gonna do you're gonna go to texas ferry supply get yourself some rhinoettes from adasi usa it is the best sandpaper i just got a grip of it from the guys over at texas ferry supply and they give you 10 percent off if you use the promo code knife talk 10 so go get yourself some of that rhinoette you're you're not gonna you're not gonna you're going to say to yourself, this was a great decision. Get yourself some, just, if you don't believe me, just get some two, a pack of 220 and uh, you're, you're in good shape. So go to TexasFairySupply.com, Knife Talk 10. There we go. We got to talk about okay. the bird ends thing, Maraco, at the end of this whole thing. This motherfucker. Okay. <laughs> we'll keep that for the after show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You want bird ends, but you don't want to spend bird ends money. Go ahead. <laughs> uh magic kick knife. Don't take that one, Jeff. Yes, hey guys, I have a bit of a dilemma. So I've I got a custom order for a filleting knife and I'm making it stock removal from 1.7 millimeters nitro V stainless. The issue is when I tried to heat treat it, I'm getting nothing. If anything, the blade is coming out softer than before. For reference, I'm using heat treating foil, double crimping the edges. I'm heat treating from a kiln, so no issues on the temperature or the t or the uh, told times hold or the or the hold times. I'm quenching between aluminum plates. Yes, it's hardening. My theory is that it's perhaps because it's super thin stock and the plates are actually too thick and cooling it too quick. Any advice would be appreciated. I'm on the verge mm. of strapping the scrapping the project altogether. Ha ha! Thanks, guys. Anybody have any mm. Um, mm. Nitro V experience? I don't. I don't. But cooling too quick would. Is that a thing? No, I, I would have thought that the danger in cooling too quick is, is sort of cracking, that kind of thing, as opposed to not hardening. Um, and he says it's a thin blade, so you assume, you know, it. Yeah. I assume it's soaking for some time, you know, and the fact that it's a thin blade, it wouldn't, you know, it shouldn't need as much as, you know, a thicker blade maybe anyway. Um, I don't know. I don't know why, why this could be. Any ideas, Morocco? Uh, I don't really know either. Uh, I know that um, when Nitro V first came out, a lot of people were having difficult time heat treating it and getting proper results out of it. Um, and so I think, you know, get a hold of the guys at wherever you got it from and talk to them. Uh, I know Matt Parkinson has a lot of experience with nitro v so everybody message matt at oh sword matt on instagram for the questions tell him marco sent him sent okay, him good, good. he'll love that he one goes right to me he usually goes straight to me with a lot of this stuff so <laughs> i know even matt yeah i shared that shop with matt for three years i think he's still somewhat scared of me <laughs> well i he, in regards to nitro v it is it's not i'm under the impression that it's not too far off from aebl and yeah. I had a very similar situation a number of years ago where I got some AEBL, I had good experience with it, and then all of a sudden something happened. And it was not creating austenite, and it was not converting into martensite. And then my at the time, this is a number of years ago, one of my first 
uh, ways to test to see that if it was hardened or not, it was I'd flex it, flex the knife before I temper it. And if it heat, and if it, and if it held the bend, then maybe I didn't get it hard. You know, so what mm. turned out when I, I talked to the guys at the New Jersey Steel Baron and they said cryo will help you significantly. So I ended up getting, uh, I stayed away from AEBL for quite a while just because I just didn't feel like fooling around. And then I did end up getting a doer and the liquid nitrogen changed the whole thing. I, and what I would highly suggest is get uh, Laren Thomas's book, Knife Engineering. He has a range of, I don't know if he's got Nitro V in there, but I, I know he has AEBL and everything else. He's got a range. And a lot of these things are range driven, you know, yeah. to I this and low that. And, sure, but sure. I do believe if you gave it another shot, look at some recipes and cryo might be the ticket and that mm. might be your, your move completely. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's having the same issue with other steels or is just specifically Nitro V. This is not um, the first time I've heard of this. So. If so, there's a chance that maybe the thermocouple could be on your on your kiln. There could be an issue there. Mm. So if you've got any way of sort of testing that, you know, against against something, I don't know. Um, but you know, they're they're quite delicate when you think of these extreme temperatures that we're putting these kilns to. Um, you know, and they're quite often in dirty shops and stuff as well. Um, so maybe just 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 clean the, th- the so the thermocouple is the bit that sort of measures the heat, and that then drives you know the power if it's up to a certain heat it'll t- turn the power off and then all that kind of stuff so if so if the thermocouple isn't measuring correctly maybe a temperature isn't what you think it is that could be an issue maybe. that's what i thought it was for me i thought my thermocoupler mm. and i've changed thermocouplers before they're very easy especially if you have an even heat there it's like a one two yeah, three two operation wires. yeah um when your thermocoupler is out there's no there's no uh there's no uh maybe something's wrong with my thermocoupler you're fucking it's it's like shooting to the moon and then shutting off and beeping like crazy so there's and then you can see that it looks like it's a disaster you know it's like a pile of scrap slag in there Mm. so the thermal coupler going is it could be it for sure but i would i would highly suggest thinking about like cold treatment or or even you know doing the dry ice thing we talked about before might you might see a big difference sure I, I can't remember if it, Nitro V is covered in Knife Engineering. I'm sure it's touched on somewhere. But Laren does have a full article on knifesteelnerds.com. Uh, the article is called Nitro V, its properties, and how to heat treat it. Uh, so that also might be a good reference for That's a good one for this question. Hmm. For Mr. Okay. Magic Kick. Wow, that was a good answer. Magic Kick. Yeah. Paul Jansen, this is for you, Mareko. You said you talk a little bit about rediscovering how to make the Roman patterns that have been lost to history. Um, He said, I must not be up to date on my Roman history, but were they known for Damascus? I know they made all kinds of advancements, but I never heard that they had advanced that much in the metallurgy. Sure. So, um, yeah, a little bit of history. The Romans had a tendency to go around and say, you have to join us or we're going to kill you. And so a lot of cultures said, okay, we'd rather stay alive. And so they joined the Roman Empire. So it was actually the Germanic Celts, um, I think uh, uh, the, the Celtic people in general were doing a lot of pattern welding as far back, the intentional pattern welding as far back as 500 BC. So when 
a giant empire rolls through and absorbs these people, those people become Roman, even though their heritage is something else. So while Rome gets the credit, and maybe this is why Rome isn't very well known for the Damascus, uh, but they do get the credit is because those peoples have been absorbed into the Roman Empire um, and continue to practice their techniques and skills that they had been developing for centuries, literally, before the Romans became the Roman Empire. Um, and so, which I think was in, oh my God, I think it's around 300, 350 BC. So the Celts were doing pattern welding. And there are examples of um uh what is it the gladiuses that were made out of damascus there are tons of examples of pattern welded spatha which were the later for uh infantry and cavalry sword uh in the later empire um um and that are any anything from just really simple straight lines uh to super elaborate mosaic damascus multi-bar multi-pattern uh, compilations of different steels put together um and even the pugios which are these weird kind of wide blade bladed daggers uh, that the that a lot of uh, military people would carry on them uh, i wouldn't be surprised if some of them were um i guess uh more ceremonial part of the thing with uh with these particular swords that i'm talking about is that they were they were swords commissioned from the Roman Empire by Scandinavians that were hired mercenaries hmm. from the north. They come down to Rome. They help Rome fight. They get paid a lot of money. There's this special steel that maybe at the time is only being done for ceremonial blades. But these motherfuckers are like, I want this badass blade yeah. to take back up to Scandahuvia. And so... Scandahuvia? I just being silly oh, okay i like scandahuvia scandahuvia yeah uh and so they take them back up there and then that's where those people and and the scandinavians have more of a heritage and a history of when a person dies that their swords are either buried with them or they're also sacrificed in kind of like a sacred place or a lake or something like that which is probably where some of the the history or the idea of like uh, King Arthur having a sword pulled out of the lake by what or given to him by the Lady of the Lake um, come from, uh, but they've been doing this for a very long time, and and so uh, where Romans usually you know when somebody's serving in the military they have their weapons and stuff, but when they stop serving those weapons go back to the military and get redistributed unless they are a very specially commissioned thing that person had made, which were far and few between and only for like the higher ups. So that's why I think the Romans don't really have, there isn't a lot of history around the Romans having these very fancy kind of pattern welded blades, but they did exist and pattern welding has existed for a very long time. Mm. Okay. I mean, you can't, Pretty comprehensive. Very comprehensive. Don't forget the Greeks. You know they did. They were Bronze Age stuff. Well, I mean, don't forget both of these. <laughs> he, he was he was well known for his <laughs> he's well known for his pattern welded nuts. <laughs> pattern welded both, ball bag. Both of these nuts. Okay. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, he's related DTM. to Heracles, right? Yeah, Heracles. Yeah, yeah Heracles and Bofides. 
I remember you had. I tell you, my favorite. One of my favorite moments is when we were at the. It was. I think it was the first time we did the, uh, the Damage Steel Invitational, and uh, mm-hmm. Nick Nico Nicolatis was on. Awesome knife maker out of Michigan. He's such a good kid too, and he said that he's partially partially Greek. And, I, and we're in the middle of it, I said, "Oh, have you ever been to? Oh, I agree. You ever been to both of these?" And he goes, "Fuck you, Jeff." And that was the end of it. <laughs> it was the best because of it. Fuck you, Jeff. Try to get him with both of these. That is the right response. <laughs> that is the right response. Yeah. Oh, that was great. That's perfect. Nice. DTM Shenanigans. Uh, hello, Jen. So, I have a quick question regarding relating to sharpening again. Um, I know Moreco does sharpening for his outdoor events, and I'm thinking of doing the same. He's got an older Tomek T1000 sharpener that I plan to use versus dragging his 2x72. Do you fellas have any recommendations for me before I commit to booth space? Um, what do you think, Moreco? Use, using a Tomac um, as opposed to a 2x72? It's certainly easier to carry, but I would have thought a little bit slow, maybe. Yeah, a bit slow, I would think. Uh, no, I was dragging my 2x72. I was dragging my broadback, actually, around um, and taking it to the events. Uh, what was it? Once a, once, I think twice a month for whatever, five or six months. Hmm. Um, it is heavy, I'll tell you. And um, something a little lighter weight probably would have been better. Um, but something that you can't, especially at a market situation, you want to be able to turn around those knives pretty right. quickly. It's your issue. Yeah. And from what I understand with the Tormek, and honestly, the knives people are bringing are beat the fuck up. <laughs> Some of these people almost proudly are like, I haven't had my knife sharpened in 13 years. I'm like, oh my God, you're fucking... You obviously don't understand what it means to own knives because so many people have been sold on the idea that knives are indestructible and they never get dull, but that's not real. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's also something to think about and take into consideration is that before you actually sharpen these knives, you're probably going to have to do some damage control and and be ready to also uh, you know, charge people for that. Uh, I kind of roll kind of repair charges right into the sharpening costs because I started out by having them separate and I'm like, no, this isn't going to work because every knife needed damage to be fixed on the blades. And so I just rolled it into one price. So I'm, I charge 250 an inch, which for an eight inch knife is 20 bucks, um, which seems like a lot, but at the well, same that time, seems pretty reasonable. You're getting a, a brand, basically a brand new knife for $20 that is sharper than it originally would have arrived to you when you bought it brand new yeah um and so and it's you know especially if it's something it's a lot of knives people brought to me were knives that oh these were our wedding this were a a wedding gift and we've had these since we've been married i'm like cool they suck um but i'm gonna fix them (laughs) and so um that's customer service right there yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you but, suck. Uh, your knives suck. Can you pay your knives me? suck. <laughs> you suck. And no. <laughs> and um, but part of it is that you get to help these people continue to use these things that are, are sentimental to them, I guess, in a way. Um, but you got to be ready to do that as well, because almost literally every single knife. It's very actually it's very rare. It's maybe one in twenty knives that I don't have to repair do any kind of repair mm-hmm. on whether even if it's just microchipping like fixing that along the edge with the stone versus the two by 72 um is not going to be as fun or as easy and and 
economic with time. And so I usually kept with me, I would bring a 60, a 120, a 220, and a 320. And then I'd also have like my honing rod as well as a stropping situation or maybe a stone. Um, especially, and if you're going to do a stone, have a splash and go stone. Don't do anything that needs to be soaked or kept in water. Just something you can just spritz a little bit of water on and go, go to, go to town. Um, you could even spit on it, you know, if you wanted to. Oh. So, Hey, um. hey, yo, <laughs> hey, yo, pause. Hey, hey, uh, so that would be my advice. And, and, but be very clear. Like I had my price. I had like a little, you can go to the Dollar Tree and get a little, uh, plastic thing that holds paper up and have all your pricing right there front and center. So, I mean, ideally that helps mitigate some of the conversation. How much is it going to cost me? Like the signs right fucking there. Look at that. Um, have cards ready. Seriously. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm much nicer when I'm at the market, Punch but in, in, in my head, first. I'm like, Are you fucking kidding me right now? <laughs> What are you doing here? We don't want you here. It also helps, like, if you got somebody that can hang out with you, because uh, it's if it's busy. Like, there have been a few markets where I was just like, all I did was sharpen the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to have somebody that can help take knives and then um, return knives and take payment or whatever. Yeah. Uh, figure out your payment situation if you're going to use like Venmo. A lot of people are asking about Venmo, Cash App, or have some sort of third party. If you have Square, like like a website, then the, there's probably a card reader for Square, and same thing for other platforms. Um, yeah. And so have that ready. It, it was nice to have a pop up tent. Uh, one, if it was a little rainy, or two, if it was really sunny, to have that shade. Uh, I had a couple tables on either side of me, one for receiving things and then one to have like set work on while I was kind of keep and keeping them staged and organized because the last thing you want to do is get orders mixed up and send the wrong knives with the wrong people. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my advice. Okay. Stay on this train of thought. Okay. The next question is a little bit linked. Um, this is from Little Littleton Supply Co. Uh, a late entry of questions uh looking to do my first farmer's neighborhood market in a couple of weeks do you guys have any advice for these types of events i'm planning to bring a few knives that i've completed as well as some that i have resharpened to get my name out as offering that service Mm. also planning to have some small craft leather goods that i make such as wallets keychains and koozies what koozie is like a Um, beer cozy like a little oh oh okay those little okay yeah um any advice is much appreciated from the gurus um so when you were sharpening did you have stuff to sell there as well i i didn't really have a i I mean i had uh i had calendars but otherwise i don't really have a lot of like swag to slang um i think it would be if you're going to have your own work as well as refurbished knives i think somehow keep them like at different ends of the table from each other instead of right side by side because i think it'd be really easy for people to say oh you made those two no yeah um so make sure that's clear um don't want to answer any stupid questions from these people, right, Marekko? What's I, that? I, I said so you don't want to answer any stupid questions from these idiots. But you're still right? going to get lots of stupid questions. I, I, I just want to make sure you know I'm on the same train as you. Fuck these people, man. <laughs> no, They're going to yeah. ask you stupid questions. No, I, th- I think it's it's I think it's good to be prepared because I think 
it's easy to be like, oh, I'm going to go to this thing and it's going to be really fun and people are going to, you know, it'll be neat to interact with people. But then there are a lot of either highly repetitive questions or stupid questions. Um, and it's just part of it. So ha also be kind of mentally prepared for that. Um, maybe have a sign that says, please ask before touching or something like that, even though people are probably not also going to pay attention to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. They don't do that. Maybe put a sneeze guard up if you're, if you're really concerned, especially the custom pieces or have them in some sort of display box so that you have to, like, they have to ask you, um, to ha handle something and look at it versus being yeah. able to just reach out on the table and grab it. Yeah. Makes sense. They make a suggestion in terms of merch. I think that if somebody wanted to go to an event and have something, some merch hats are the move. And I'm saying this because mm. I hate it. I hate when I get buy merch, I buy it direct. I buy it direct from my guy. Sure. Like I don't, I don't do the the drop ship thing with the yeah. the company. I go to Greg. He makes me what I want. I may get the t-shirts made. I get that. Hats are the move. Guys are fucking around with the t-shirts. The hats are the move because it's one size, one size fits all. Get yourself some hats. Mm. Sell some hats, little. Get a good one made. Mm. You know, it's you don't have to fool around. Oh, you don't have any. Oh, I don't know. I could complain. I complain about something else. Apparently, I don't have the right sizing for my T-shirts. Some some of my fans are mad because I don't have the right sizing. Oh, geez. you're a so, dick. I I am a dick. So I'm inconsiderate. Taking, I'm taking care. I'm taking care of it. All you guys who are in my DMs and giving me trouble. Apparently, I'm not size sensitive. It's those fat fuckers still pretending that they're, me <laughs> hey, they're medium. Hey, they go, hey, it's not me. It's it's it's, it's Jeff sizing. Hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also we also have we had it we had a, a number of mo number of months ago we had a uh, we had a question about this and we had one of our listeners said he brought knives and beef jerky. Remember that? Oh yeah. And he said he sold a shit ton of beef jerky. So beef jerky might be the move. Littleton free knives. Make yourself a make yourself a jug of beef jerky and sell some beef jerky because mm. apparently people love it. It would be like a Pavlov's dog situation. You train Dude. them with the jerky and they come back for the sharpening. Dude, listen, <laughs> <laughs> and you call you jerky, me jerky. I'm with you. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. Should we keep going? Yeah, we have okay. listener feedback too. All right, let, well, let's tell everybody about our, our favorite Canadian supplier, uh, MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, but also Maritime Knife Supply on Instagram. They've got everything, literally everything. Um, and if they haven't got it, they'll get it for you. Steel, belts, handle materials, tools, forges, kilns. They're the Canadian distributor for combat. They sell Rhino Wet and Rhino Stick. I think they're now doing um, uh, grinders, uh, broadback grinders. I think they may be doing Dharma yes. Steel as well. Basically everything. Go take a look. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Uh, Lawrence is a good dude. Uh, they've always got deals on belts and things like that as well. So, yeah, worth taking a look. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. And if there's something you want, he can get it for you. So, like, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's very good about that. In regards to sizing, all you guys who reached out and listened to me, I got you. I, ca I got you. Let's just leave it at that. All jokes aside, I got you. Triple XLs on the way. Oh. Okay. A couple more up. <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep going. I think that one's going. Fine. 
fine. Let's just not talk about it anymore, okay? All right, guys. If you want to get listen to the uh, talk to the podcast, you go to Knife Talk Podcast on Instagram, and uh, you can send in your listener feedback. Uh, this one first one comes from our friend Brigham Kindell. Brigham Kindell out of Utah. That boy's doing some things. I feel like all celebrities. We were talking about you know in the beginning we were talking about J Mod knives sent on um, knives to Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk. Yeah. Brigham yeah. Kindell says, "I feel like all celebrities." Uh, all celebrity get all celebrities get people wanting something from them. If you want to send them a knife, send them a knife. Don't ask them to do something for you in return. They already have enough people that only interact with them because they want something from them. That is very true. And one when you're dealing with people who are famous or semi-famous or you're hoping that something can happen, these organic relationships are where you want it to go as opposed to like crossing your fingers and hope they do something i have i, I had guys who, who were supposed to do things they didn't do them and it's like you just you it's it isn't isn't optimal hmm. what's the most famous guy you saw let's just do let's just do some humble bragging right now what's the most famous guy you send a knife to <sighs> Me, yeah you or echo or, both of you we um, both did on this fucking podcast right <laughs> Jesus Christ! Very early on, and it was an order that came. Actually, it, it was um, so. I made no secret that I wanted <clears throat> Jim. Excuse me. <clears throat> You're right. Jesus Christ! Um, that I wanted uh, Jamie Oliver using one of my knives because I'm a big fan of all the yeah, rest he of likes it. Fungal, um, but his, um, I suppose, his mentor or his, his sidekick, uh, Gennaro Contaldo, um, an Italian chef, um, he ordered one of my knives way, way, way back. Um, so I've never seen him use it anywhere. I, I don't know whether it was a gift for somebody else or what. I don't know. Uh, but he did. And that that was a bit of a moment. I thought that was pretty cool. What about you, Mareko? Who's your most famous... Who's the most famous guy's guy you want in your house? <laughs> uh, I don't... I don't know. I, I don't know anybody's numbers or... Who's more well, famous? All right, just say, well, come on. Oh, but just, just say, say Joe fucking, Rogan and get it over yeah, and done say, with. Yeah, yeah it's probably Joe Rogan. Actually. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> Jesus. I'll tell a story. I'll tell yeah. a story. Might as well. Uh, Guy Fieri has one of my knives, and he was supposed to do some things, and he didn't do any of them. So, mm. so that's that's that for that. So that's probably the most famous guy. I have actually, uh, Darren Aronofsky has been a really good customer of mine for quite some time, and he's been just the nicest nicest guy you could possibly ask some of these guys are pricks some of these guys are fantastic uh and, mm. and it's based on that but uh yeah yeah well heston blumenthal he's got a few oh, yeah? as well uh, yeah yeah dang girl um yeah yeah there was yeah i, I don't know if i can talk about it because it may still happen one day but there was talk that we were going to be doing a lot of work together like a lot of work together um but yeah, that was put put on ice for a bit, and I'm hoping maybe we could revisit that. So mm. I won't really mention it too much. Mm, 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 mm. Hmm. Right. Okay. Um. Where are we? Where I have a couple more, more questions. Listener feedbacks, if you want them. Yeah, go for uh, it. Yeah. Uh, Custom Cass, our friend Custom Cass says, "Hey guys, just to let you know, muriatic acid and hydrochloric acid are the same things." I have a degree in chemistry to vouch for that. And yes, Ooh. heat and concentration speed up the reaction for a nice deep finish. I'd go colder, more dilute, dilute and slower. And uh, next one, this is a good one. Oh, wait, but, what was that in regard to? Uh, when we were talking about... Acids. Well, we had, I think we had Fingal on when you were oh, away. I wasn't and, there. Uh, 
Yeah, okay. no, you weren't here. This <laughs> just said I was it. gallivanting across Montana. Right, right. And um, he were you were talking about. Uh, we were actually talking about Damasteel, now to finish it. And we were talking about mm. hydro. Uh, we were talking. About, I was using muriatic, and he was using hydrochloric, and and uh, so Cass was saying it's very similar. Same thing. Hummer knives has a good idea. This is something a new bit, a new idea for a new bit. Knife making skills in the wild. What's something you do outside of the shop that you specifically learn inside the shop? Example, I put a micro bevel on my shovels so they cut through easier through the roots when digging. That's nice. actually a pretty good That's bit. That's a good move. Have mm. you guys have, is there anything that you have learned in any shop, doesn't have to be a knife shop, that you use in regular life? I'll start. I thought about this. When I started welding, I really focused on being in a comfortable situation and you know, knowing your travel and resting and stuff like that. And welding, made, and then when I, I had to do some uh, glazing, uh, uh, like uh, uh, glass work, we were putting in uh, storefront windows uh, at this other job, I became so good at putting down the caulk that it was like from welding. Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Laying down yeah. the caulk. I was laying down the caulk. Laying the caulk. You don't know about it. Explain. Craig, I was... I was laying down the caulk. I was pulling the, pulling it out and laying down a good bead of caulk. You don't know about that? C- cork. Okay, 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 sorry. Okay, what did cork. you think I, I said? You know. I thought it was a very New York quack. I was laying down the caulk. I was laying down the <laughs> caulk. <laughs> hey, I'm looking at my quack here. <laughs> guys, okay, yeah, guys nobody it. can lay down the caulk like I can. But uh, seriously, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was putting down the caulk, and I was so much better at it from the welding. The welding made me better at using caulk. Quacking. <laughs> That's true, 100%. Fair enough. You, you guys okay. don't have any little things that make you better in the shop? Oh. At home? I guess this is going to be a very I good feel like I have I have things that I pull into the shop from outside of the shop. Go ahead. Hmm. Um, I used to do a lot of line drawing and pencil and pen line drawings and stuff, and... When I was really, uh, when I was focusing on details, it, I had this like weird ability to like focus in really tight and be super tunnel vision, like I was looking through a microscope and and drawing my lines and and especially if I was doing any kind of cross hatching or something like that, or color or like shading something in to stay within lines and stay like whatever, just stay really focused. Um, but it was like. It was really like I was zooming in through a microscope and then I would like pull back out and then the whole like, but otherwise the world would like disappear except for this tiny little spot that I was focusing on. And now like when I'm doing my handle shaping or when I'm doing my blade grinding or just zeroing in on specific details of my knife making process, especially when it comes to the handle shaping and blade grinding, um, that same like that same thing happens. I do that same thing to really like dial in and focus on specific parts to make sure they're centered or shaping up the way I want them to to look. It's kind of weird. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what about you? Makes sense. What about yeah. you, Craig? I, I can't think of anything specific. Nothing? No. Um, not really, no. There's lots of things that I've learned um, because of knife making, um, but nothing... Um, no, I can't, can't make anything up. I, I will. I will for next week. Ugh, we're going to forget about it for next week. We're not going to remember that. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, 
And we have one more from our friend JH Knife Shop. We have a few more, but I thought this would be good. Here's another bit idea. If you were in my boots, the idea is we, the audience, could submit a short summary of what's going on in our shop and ask for your advice on what direction we should go in. Then the hosts would tell us what to do if they were in our boots. So you give us what's going on and we tell you what to do. It sounds like misery for you. <laughs> I tell you what to do. You know, you might not like it. <laughs> so, I mean, isn't that kind of along the lines of what we do with the Q&A anyways? Well, here's, here's mm. for example, yeah. I'm a part-time stock removal maker who has been in it, been in it for about a year and a half and I'm about, and I'm about to make 50 knives into uh, 50 knives. I'm about 50 knives into my hobby. Most of what I make are skinning outdoor knives. I've been blessed to be able to buy a 2x72, a kiln, leather sewing machine, laser, and I'm currently sitting on a nice pile of steel handles and other supplies. My shop, shop is small but nice, heated and air-conditioned. All my knives are 1084. For my next upgrade, what would you guys do? You could buy supplies and stainless and... Should I buy tools to make folders? Should I buy a surface grinder? What would you do? So, sorry, read read it again. Sorry, I was wondering. I was thinking. I'm a part time stock removal maker. Who look? He's been. He's got a lot. He's got a small shop. He's been at it for a year and yeah, a half, yeah. and he's got all this stuff. What What would you do? I'm not going to read the whole thing again. I mean, it depends whether he wants to make more, as in quantity, or whether he wants to um, di- try different styles. I suppose. But if it's about quantity, we talked about this in the past. Things like. You know, getting multiples of things um, can help you work that much faster, um, whether it's drill presses or even, you know, clamps or vices, all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I personally, I, I, I think that, but um, I don't know. What do you think, Morocco? I think you got to get yourself a good apron. <laughs> hey, oh, and a calendar so you know what time, you. what time of the year look it is. You. Look at you. <laughs> Uh yeah I don't know I think yeah I don't I don't know I, I I would I'd have to know yeah a little bit more about where he's hoping to go or wanting to go well he's only a year and a half into it right and he's already invested in all this stuff I think the most important part part thing is to put the reps in you sure. gotta put, and then this is something that for all the everybody listening you gotta put your reps in you gotta figure this out you gotta figure it out so you, it's working for you. And that you have the muscle memory and understanding of how to do shit. Because all the tools mm-hmm. in the world are awesome. And the more you have, obviously, the greater it is. But if you don't have, like, a deep understanding of where you're going and what you're doing, all the tools don't matter. Yeah. Well, I guess then, yeah. I would say then, it's, I mean, it does sound like he's pretty well set up. Uh, so then maybe start experimenting with different styles. If he's only been kind of playing the, the hunting and skinning knife format for 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 the last 50 knives maybe step outside of that do a kemp knife do a bigger knife do a dagger grind um and kind of just just for his own personal exploration and and to continue to develop those skills and like daggers are a bitch because there's all kinds of layout that you got to do to really help with staying symmetrical symmetry is crucial in a dagger and so learning that Mm. control to just make sure you're doing like grinding it and cutting it the the right way is super important. So that could be a good practice, not necessarily doing like a whole elaborate, like master Smith dagger build, but just 
something with a simple, even if it's just a shucking knife, honestly, um, experimenting with stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Jeff, tell everybody about your grinder. I'm just going to look down the questions and find one last one before we call it a day. I've just been using it. It's the Broadback Ironworks 2x72 grinder, and I love it. It's the best grinder I have, and I can't, I mean, it, it makes my life a lot easier. So one of the things you can do is you can go to Broadback Ironworks on Instagram, check out what they're doing. You can go to broadbackironworks.com and see what they have. They have grinders, they have attachments, and they have a lot of new attachments. They just have the new waterfall attachment that they're going to release at Blade Show, which is pretty cool. If you want to get them crispy-ass plunge lines, that's the that's the move for you. They have new stuff, and they actually told us some shit last week. Vince told us some shit that we can't even talk about, but it's pretty exciting. So go check out broadbackironworks.com, and they have a deal with Knife Talk for Knife Talk listeners. If you use the promo code Knife Talk 200 you get $200 off their grinder packages. And if you use Knife Talk 100, you get $100 off their surface grinder attachment, their leather sewing machine, and their new sharpening system. Their new sharpening system, which is everyone seems to like, love it. So good for them. Broadbeckironworks.com. There we go. I, I got a go. question for you, actually, Jeff, regarding Me? your Broadback. Go ahead. Yeah. Did, did you, do you have their bevel table situation? Yes. I wonder if you could use that for your serrations. I've already talked to, I've already talked, uh, talked to Vince about it. The, the problem is, is the way I do it. You know, the funny thing is, is like, I don't really use tables as much as I use them for, for not less for the work and more for me being in a comfortable position. So I like, you. I have like what looks like a, a work table on my, on my, on my disc grinder, but it isn't, it's actually something I lean on. Um, the problem with Your gut rest. No, my fucking <laughs> wrist ret. How short do you think I am? I'm, I'm a, you know, fuck you're me. You're a fucking giant. You're a big man, Jeff. You're that's, a big man. You rest his quack yeah, on it. That's, where do you think I put my quack? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but the problem is, is like, I don't, with the serrations, I want to move up and, if you just stick on one particular part of a, of a, of the belt with the serrations, especially mm. if it's like a higher grit belt you cutting that motherfucker that belt could get cut pretty quick so i, I kind of yeah. move up and down on the belt so to make sure that i'm using all of it especially if you get up to like 400 grit 800 grit that turns into like a you know a whip yeah oh, i got you all right just curious good okay um, i'll take a question here from maverick knife works he, he referenced last week what i said um about uh, cheap 3d printers um for like 40 dollars um I've just had a quick search, um, and there's a there's a bunch. Um, so I'll give you some brand names. Kokoni do one for which is forty pounds. Um, Easy Thread do lots for sort of fifty sixty quid, and they're basically rip offs of like bigger bigger makes. Um, but you know, if you just want something to play around with, they they'll do the job. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch there, and if you can't get on Amazon in your country, um, AliExpress, dare I say it. Um, they're pretty much Amazon these days, and um, yeah, there's a bunch on there as well. So go take a look. I just, I just before you call it quits here, I just saw what you're going to title this podcast. Are you sure that's what you want to title this podcast? <laughs> Are you sure you're going to get us in fucking trouble here, man? I have a lot of fun doing the titles of these podcasts. Right. Okay. You know, don't don't take I that. I will away not from take me, it away from you. I didn't sake. spoil it. I know. I, I'm with you. I just, just you know, a little back office talk. I've got to do it because it comes to Monday morning, like, and I edit you the podcast, and put it up, 
and I forget, and I was like, oh, geez, what are we going to call yeah. it? So I need to, I need to come yeah. up with a title whilst yeah. we're doing it. So Craig Lockwood, yeah. ladies and germs. <laughs> don't, don't take away. Thank you fun. all for listening. Thank you all for listening. We should speak to you next week. Bye for now. This show is brought to you by Night Talk is sponsored by <laughs> I like it when you okay. I like okay. going to go through and push all the buttons. I again. love that you did one episode you touched all the buttons at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk burnt ends, oh, Jeff. Oh, yeah, God damn it. All right. So this morning I'm just doing my own stuff. And uh Craig, I think he just sent he sent it to you. He just sent it to you. Uh <laughs> he just sent it to you. <laughs> okay. I sent it to you now Morocco okay. as well. Yeah. So this fucking guy's name is. <laughs> you say guy? Who knows? This guy's who name knows? is. It's BBQ with Big Jake. This is the most strange look. I mean, you don't. <laughs> he's doing a barbecue thing in his kitchen, and shall I play? Shall I play a little bit? I mean, just so we can get yeah, the accent is powerful. Go ahead. A bit, just a sec. Start from the beginning, though. Okay, is it playing? Let's have a look. Savory sauce. We got our smoked sauces rubbed down. We're gonna put that on a fit at two fifty. Well, you gotta get the part. Whoa, 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 <laughs> what the fuck was that? That was, was not part of the video. That, that wasn't part. <laughs> Why did you? Anyway, that anyway, was... listen. <laughs> that made the video so much better. But I don't know why that woman was so bad. Dishes. What happened? Uh, it went on to the next one. I don't uh, know. You swiped? <laughs> did you swipe up? Accidentally? I swiped accidentally. <laughs> yes, yeah. um, but anyway, this 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 guy he he does a lot of barbecue content. But it's the comments. You've got to read the comments. So what was it? What was it? Barbecue Big Jeff? Was it? What was Not it? Barbecue Big Jeff. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to find it's again barbecue. Now. It's barbecue Big Jake. Barbecue with Big Jake. And the with Big with Jake. Big Jake. Yeah. And the thing is, he's perfectly fine, but he looks like you cannot tell if he is a child or a man. Like, like he looks. He's a man child. What did you see? Did you yeah. see what he looks like, Breco? Yeah. So. Yeah, I started watching it. Uh, it, and he's he's got there's like the most southern accent, and it's all about the comment. I, I'm not into commenting, you know, t- taking people down because of their appearance, but they are hilarious. I'll just I'll just well, skim one it. of them is <laughs> so, the, so so just for the listener, the guy you don't know how old he is at all. I mean, it's like the the he's timeless the time. I mean, it's like that. He could be seven years old or on <laughs> yeah. death's door. You don't know. So the, any. So everyone's it's, it's like watching strange. this guy. I mean, he's perfectly f- nice, but it's just like you just don't have no idea whatsoever. So one guy, right, bro, looks like it's an either the first year in high school, but he also just got back from Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, I got here. Bro looks like he's paying and receiving child support at the same time. <laughs> Oh, uh, Benjamin Burden, somebody called him. <laughs> Bro has a mortgage and homework due on the same day. <laughs> Somebody's called, called him Bouncer's Worst Nightmare. <laughs> worst Nightmare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the best part is people are actually very funny. Uh, Bro looks like he's um, 14 and 40 at the same time. You are yeah. one very young old man. 
He's about to tell himself how he used to do it back in the days. <laughs> <laughs> People are very clever. But the best part is, is he goes, the best part, that, that recipe you sent was crazy because it's like, you ever want to make burn ends with, without paying burn ends money? He just takes sausages and like, probably like $25 worth of, so, of salt and, and seasoning <laughs> yeah, and barbecue sugar. sauce. Yeah. And he's just, he's just cooking sausages in like brown sugar and barbecue sauce. Yeah. yeah. My guy Skip learning how to ride a bike and reverse a truck with a trailer on the same day. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Definitely. Shout out to this guy. You know what? This guy rules. I tell you what, he's good. Big, barbecue with yeah. Big Jake rules. He's the man. And yeah. uh, is Craig screwed me up because all day I was trying to. I was all day I was saying, "Who you? Anybody want to make burn ends? But you don't want to pay burn ends money." That's like our listeners. Our listeners are like, how do I forge and heat treat stainless steel, but I don't want to, I only want to use a forge. I don't want to use a kiln. That's, that is wanting to make burn ends, but not wanting to pay burn ends money. Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) So that's kept me amused all day that. Um, Just looking at the comments, it's just, it's hilarious. hilarious. So Jeff said that Craig just sent it to me, right? So I start looking at the video and then Craig and Jeff keep talking. I'm watching the video, vo- vocal sound off. But then Craig starts playing it, and where he plays the audio for everybody to hear is exactly where I'm watching, and it starts to trip me it's out. Sync. It's exactly insane. Whoa. And I was like, wait, what the fuck's going on? The audio just turned off. I was like, no, wait, that's Craig. But it synced perfectly. It was perfectly synced. A live edit that was, Mark. Wow. That was weird. Tripped me out. Wow. So what 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 have you been up to? Reading, listening to, watching. What's what's going on? Still working on the Mandalorian over on this end. Oh, isn't mm-hmm. this May the fourth? Is it? Is today? Today May is the 4th? today is May oh, yeah. the fourth. Although there it is actually of, yes, yeah. A lot of May the fourth be mm-hmm. with you. Yeah. Ugh, yep. God. Yeah. <laughs> Are you gonna eat some like stewed alien worms or something for dinner? Tales from the broiler. No. No. Oh, geez, no. No. I don't really. No. No. You're not. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you not a fan of Star Wars? I my favorite Star Wars. I went. My mother took me to the original Star Wars and came out. I went to okay. Star Wars: Empire Strikes Back, and then I remember my friends are right now sending me messages. They're going to see Empire Strikes Back, which was my. I uh, know they're going to see Return of the Jedi, which was my favorite of them all. All of them it, it, to this day. They ain't no better. As far as I'm concerned, Jabba the Hutt's the only thing worth a damn on that Star Wars. So uh, I did like it when I was a kid. I did like it very much. It's fine. I, I watched <laughs> the Mandalorian. It's fine. Well, why? Why is Jabba the Hutt like because the standout character for you? Because he makes a he has good noises. <laughs> I love that shit. <laughs> he makes great noises, and he's fat and disgusting. He's terrific. That's the best character on that whole show. He's gross. He's great. <laughs> I've I've never understood the fascination with Star Wars. And that was my junior high. Kind of my junior high. We had a yearbook in junior high, and that was I had a Jabba the Hutt. Was my quote. My quote was from Jabba the Hutt. It was, what a, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> no, it was he. Uh, the The subtitle says, "You're my kind of scum, fearless and inventive." I love that quote. That was my quote, junior high. You're my kind of scum, fearless and inventive. I like that. Interesting. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I like you know, Star Wars is fine. I mean, I'm almost fifty, so it's like, you know. Kind of. <laughs> what yeah. are you watching, Craig? So, um, not much. I've been. Well, my wife went to London this week, so I've been with the kids. So I haven't really watched anything or, or read anything, really. Um, 
No, um, I, I just finished that Rick Rubin book, and um, yeah, no, nothing much really. So I'm looking for recommendations, really. I suppose. Well, the Knicks are crazy right now. The Knicks are in the in the second round of the playoffs. The NBA playoffs right now are awesome, really awesome, and the Knicks are one and one as of right now. They're one and one with the Miami Heat. They lost the first game. They won the second game. And I'm making, I'm fucking cashing in. So I have some Knicks colored knives coming out on Friday before they play uh, down in Miami. We did great with the Knicks uh, colored t-shirts and uh, I'm all in on the Knicks. The Knicks have been awesome. So Nice. I just saw last night, Boston was fucking destroying Philadelphia. You know what? I tell you what, Boston is awesome. I don't sleep on Philly. I, I think Philly goes all the way. I, my opinion is, and I want the Knicks to go. I, here's my, as a fan of the Knicks, I love the Knicks. I am rooting for the Knicks to be to go all the way. They haven't been playing basketball that's going to beat Steph Curry or, you know, it's just, they're not, I mean, they got to really, they're going to have to fight the next every game they play they're gonna have to really fight hard because it's like the they haven't they've been throwing bricks you know it's just been not they should have won the last two games they only won one but uh steph curry is no question about it the great he is our he is our michael jordan he's the michael jordan of our time he's unbelievably great and it's fun to watch but philly i think philly's gonna go all the way i think philly and it's gonna be philly and i believe that the golden state warriors are gonna come back i think it's gonna be philly and the golden state warriors in the in the end i'm hoping it's the knicks but i i don't i'm not feeling it i want him to but mm-hmm. so burn ends for all Burn ends for all. With that, that's a show. Thank you all for listening. We shall speak to you again next Monday, bright and early, as usual. Bye for now. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.